This faith and finance podcast is underwritten in part by Christian Healthcare Ministries. Are you finding it increasingly challenging to find affordable health care? Christian Healthcare Ministries is a budget-friendly, biblical, and compassionate healthcare cost-sharing alternative that aligns with your Christian values. And it's available in all 50 states and around the world. Learn more at chministries.org slash faithby. Why is it that so many of us are quick to help others, but we'd never dream of asking for it ourselves? I'm Rob West. Studies show that Christians are generous people, willing to help when we see a need. But do we hide our needs from others when we could use a hand? I'll talk about that today, and then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Well, many churches have benevolence funds to help primarily members get through a financial rough patch. And no doubt, most church members gladly support those funds and want to see them used wisely as needed. But I'll go out on a limb and say that a lot of folks who readily support their church having a benevolence fund would and have found it difficult to ask for help from it. Now, why is that? Well, no doubt one reason is that we see asking for help as being a burden on others. We would gladly go without some necessity and maybe even see our families go without rather than burden someone else. And yet Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So you see, God never intended for us to be rugged individualists going our own way. He meant for us to live in a Christian community centered around the local church and extending outward. God wants us to share each other's burdens, but that's not possible if we don't make ours known. Maybe we don't want to appear vulnerable or weak, so we keep our needs secret, telling no one that we need help. Or we might tell ourselves that others can't help us or don't want to. Here, we must be careful because some of these reasons could be rooted in sin, the sin of pride. Proverbs 11.2 tells us, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Well, no doubt, asking someone for help is a humbling experience. We don't like it, especially if it's financial help, and especially if the need is the result of a poor decision or action we've made. Maybe the message there is that having to ask for help is the lesson you need to not make the mistake again. But even if your present difficulty is through no fault of your own, God can still use the experience to shape your character more like Christ, to teach you something you need to learn. And it quite likely has to do with letting go of pride and surrendering yourself in humility to the Lord. While you may have surrendered to Christ as your Savior years ago, it often takes longer to surrender to Him as Lord over your life, especially over your finances. Some of us put that off as long as possible, but you can save yourself a lot of grief by not waiting until you hit some future financial bottom. So if you need short-term financial help, ask for it. If you need financial advice, ask for it. God has no doubt put people in your life who can help. James 1.5 teaches, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
Start with your church and let your needs be known. If no one in your church can help, the odds are decent that someone knows somebody outside the church who may want to help. The Body of Christ is a vast network of people and resources. Okay, we've gone over several reasons why you may not want to ask for help, but here are the main reasons why you should do it. It glorifies God. How, you might ask? Well, first, asking others for help glorifies God because in our weakness, His strength is revealed. In 2 Corinthians twelve twenty, Paul writes, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we are weak and admit it, we give others the opportunity to help. Conversely, if you keep quiet about your need, you deny others the chance to help, and they may really want to help. Ultimately, you deny God the opportunity to provide for you through others. When you find yourself in a difficult situation, you're more likely to go to God in prayer, asking Him for help. The Bible encourages this. 1 John 5.14 teaches, If we ask anything according to His will— He hears us. When you pray for God's help according to His will, He will help. Not with bags of money falling from heaven, but through other people and circumstances. Maybe He provides a new opportunity for you to earn more. The point is, to get help, you have to ask for it, and that includes and begins with asking the Lord. It's good to do because it not only glorifies the Father, it allows others to be generous as they're called to do. All right, your calls are next. The number, 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. I'm Rob Weston. We'll be right back. Absolutely free. We know you've learned to be suspicious of those words, but really, you can get biblical financial wisdom delivered to your inbox each week absolutely free articles, videos, podcasts, and special offers on biblical resources. Nearly 60,000 people receive our free weekly wisdom email, and you can too. Create your free FaithFi account by going to faithfi.com and click sign up to begin receiving weekly wisdom in your inbox. What if buying groceries, gas, or dining out could help change lives? With Christian Community Credit Union's Cards That Give to Missions, you can help spread the gospel, combat human trafficking, and protect vulnerable children with every purchase at no cost to you. Apply for your card today. More information is available at joinchristiancommunity.com. That's joinchristiancommunity.com. The Credit Union is an underwriter of this ministry. Membership eligibility required. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. All right, we've got some phone lines open. 800-525-7000 is the number to call. That's 800-525-7000 with whatever you're thinking about today, financially speaking. Here's our goal. We want to help you look at God's money that you've been entrusted through the lens of Scripture so you can manage His resources as a faithful steward according to a biblical worldview, starting with this idea that God owns it all and He entrusts resources assets to us for a purpose. You know, I was reading Howard Dayton, uh, his uh, the former host of this program, his book this morning called Charting Your Legacy. And this 
idea kind of jumped off the page uh, at me. He says in the book, the Lord chooses different ways of entrusting people with significant assets. Some inherit, others marry into a wealthy family, still others develop a practice or a business or manage investments well. But regardless of how you come into whatever resources you have, I think we need to see that as God allowing you to have whatever it is in the way of financial resources for a purpose. You see, God has chosen to entrust us with whatever it might be, and we, as we acknowledge that fact that it comes from Him, we shouldn't feel guilty or carry around a sense of condemnation for what we've been provided, because we have to recognize He's given each person a particular calling in order to accomplish his plan for history. This is really affirmed in Acts 13.36. Listen to this. It says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers. You see, handling your assets God's way is a major part of his purpose for you. And so it's not wrong to be rich. It's not wrong to have material, uh, well, I would say worldly wealth. But it is wrong to be rich and not ask why we've been entrusted with much. Now, we're all at different places on our journey. Don't hear me say that, you know, if, if you're not rich, quote unquote, uh, then you don't belong on this program. The reality is if you have more than you need, you're rich in the world's standards. Uh, we have far more uh, in, in just about every case than we need. And yet you may be in a very difficult season, really struggling right now. And what I would say to you is God's promises are true. He will provide for you, and we want to be an encouragement to you. So wherever you find yourself on that journey right now, and we go through different seasons, and some of you may be struggling, others may find yourself in a situation of surplus, the key is to find contentment, to ultimately have our dependence and trust, not in the things of this world and our financial means, but in God himself, depending upon him with him in his rightful place and first position in our lives, making money not an end, but a means to an end, then to accomplish God's purposes, holding whatever he's trusted entrusted to you, however much or however little, loosely, and using it for his glory. The Apostle Paul really understood this when he said, I've learned to be content in any and every situation or circumstance, whether in need uh, or having plenty, I've learned the secret of being content. May we each find that place with where God has us. Hey, let's do that together. We'd love to hear from you with whatever you're thinking about today in your financial life. The question or the number to call is 800-525-7000. We've got some lines open. Again, 800 800- Five two five seven thousand. Uh, let's begin today with Sandra in Tampa. Go right ahead. Uh, yes, I'd like to know what the step, first steps are to decluttering, hmm. so that I can yeah. make room for that. Yeah, very good. So, are you talking about decluttering actually a f- your physical space, like a, a home office, or uh, give me a little bit more context as to what you're trying to accomplish? Well, um, how do I say this? Um, a lot of clutter of mail and paperwork all over, and I know that doesn't allow one to, to, to expand and think. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I totally agree. And I think perhaps a starting place is, in fact, getting more organized, getting decluttered, which does allow you to focus on the most important things. And there's just something about having things neat and organized, getting rid of excess that allows you to focus in on what's most important and make some progress. Uh, Perhaps you start by taking those stacks of piles of paper and envelopes and receipts and everything else and put them into three categories. Those things you don't need to keep are going to go in the shredder. Uh, You know, you don't need to keep every statement, uh, you know, of every account. You don't need to keep every invoice when you get a bill in the mail and you've paid it. There's a lot of things that can go right in the shredder. uh, And if you don't have one, I'd get one and make sure it has cross cuts. It's a small expense, but it will help prevent identity theft. Uh, The second category, uh, Sandra, is uh, those things that you need to keep for seven years. Uh, Keep in mind, that's the IRS's recommendation, at least three, but but certainly up to seven years uh, for papers related to taxes. And you could store those in a file cabinet. You could store those electronically as long as they're encrypted and, and you have a, a strong password on them. But this is an opportunity for you to take those things that relate back to your taxes, justifying what you reported uh, in, on your tax return. I'd keep those for seven years. And then category three is really those things you want to keep forever. Your marriage and birth certificates, passports, deeds, uh, you know, those types of things should be in a fireproof safe or a safe deposit box. Now, obviously, there's a perhaps a fourth pile, and that is the things that are due right now, the bills that you have to pay. And I think getting a spending plan, getting everything on paper or electronically inputted into a, a smartphone app like the FaithFi app will allow you to establish that budget so that you know what you have on a monthly basis. And then once it's paid, it's shredded. But I think that might be a helpful place to to start. And then after you get organized, now we want to look at your finances and really answer some important questions. You know, do you have an emergency fund of three to six months expenses? If not, let's try to free up some money on a monthly basis where you can automate a certain amount just every month automatically to go into a separate savings account. So you can begin to build that up. If you've got some credit card debt, let's get on a budget so we stop the overspending, but then let's get a plan to get out from under that debt, whether it's snowballing it or using a debt management program. Uh, If you haven't started a retirement plan, let's do that. But I think it does all start with you getting some organization and then really developing your priorities from there. How does that sound, though? Wonderful. Thank you for those inputs. Yes, I'll definitely keep them in mind. Good. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you, Sandra, and we appreciate you being on the program today. Uh, 800-525-7000 is the number to call. We're going to hit a quick break here. When we come back, we'll dive into many more of your questions as we continue to unpack what's on your mind today in light of Scripture. Hey, let's tackle, though, before we do, a quick email. These come into us every day at askrob at faithfi.com. This one uh, comes to us uh, from Philip. He says, digital currency is coming. Should we invest in precious metals or land? If the dollar is discontinued and becomes worthless, what happens to money in the banking systems? Uh, Philip, what I would say to you is digital currency is still years away. And when it arrives, if it does, it won't mean that your money is worthless. It won't replace existing currency, but would supplement it. At least that's what's being discussed. Now, keep in mind, what you might be hearing about is the FedNow program that's coming in July. That's simply a payment 
processing platform. It's a way for you to facilitate commerce and transactions. The difference is Fed now allows those financial transactions and transfers of money to happen 24-7. Right now, Sundays are not an option for payment processing, and basically the weekend they take off. This is going to allow those instantaneous transactions to happen in real time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Completely different from a central bank digital currency, which would require congressional action. The Fed uh, Chairman Powell has acknowledged that there's a lot of problems with it because of privacy, so there will be a lot of debate before we see it come to pass. Stay on the line. We'll be back with much more after this. We're grateful for support from Movement Mortgage, who provides residential home loans in all 50 states. Guided by a mission to love and value people and a goal to redefine the mortgage process, Movement seeks to help others achieve their financial goals. You can find out more at movement.com slash faith. Movement Mortgage LLC supports equal housing opportunity, NMLS number 39179. For licensing information, please visit nmlsconsumeraccess.org. We are grateful for support from Sound Mind Investing in the Faith and Finance Program. For more than 30 years, they've been helping Christians reach their financial goals with step-by-step guidance for investors at every stage, from those just getting started to those getting ready for retirement. Through scriptural principles and practical suggestions, SMI offers financial wisdom for living well. More information, including the short video webinar on profit and peace of mind, no matter what's happening in the market, is available at soundmindinvesting.org. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. We're taking your calls and questions today. Let's head right back to the phones to Tennessee. Hi, Tony. How can I help you? Uh, yes, sir. I have a standard uh, term life insurance policy of $100,000. And uh, I'm 71 years old, and it's, it's going to be expiring, I think, in 2028. Uh, and at my age, I know I probably won't never be able to afford another policy. And I've been... <clears throat> Hearing on the TV about uh, these companies that will buy your insurance policy, and I, I don't understand how that would work, and I just uh, like some information about it, if you could give it to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can sell a life insurance policy. It's all going to have to do with the death benefit and just, uh, you know, your health condition. You know, if you have a terminal condition, um, obviously the, the investor or investors that would be buying this policy are buying it for the death benefit. They would maintain the premium and then collect the death benefit upon your death. Uh, the question with you, you can sell a term insurance policy, which is, you know, a, a temporary insurance because it meets a temporary need, and then you know when you reach the end of the term, you know you would you would drop it. Um, you know the the you know most significant disadvantage of a term insurance policy is that in you know is that it can expire while the insured is still alive and it pays uh, no death benefit or it lapses during that period of time. Um, you know if it's convertible to a whole life policy, that would factor into this. Uh, obviously, as I said, your health and age would affect kind of your ability to get a life settlement. Um, and you'd have to see if you even qualify, 
Um, so you'd want to look at, you know, because these can be somewhat complicated, you'd want to contact a, a life settlement company and have the policy appraised, um, you know, before you did anything. But I would typically say for the average person with a term policy, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense to sell this policy. And, you know, what you probably will end up doing is, uh, like most folks with a term policy, is you have it to offset the risk that exists during your working years. But then when you get beyond that, um, and there's not a risk that is that exists where if you were to pass away, it would create a hardship for a, a loved one or a dependent who's counting on your income because in retirement, you've already built up your retirement assets. So at that point, you'd typically just drop your term insurance policy um, and, and no longer be paying for it, which allows you to recoup that expense. So I would say, you know, it's probably not worth, um, you know, the the option of selling it. But if you wanted to kind of hire somebody, a reputable broker to, you know, go out and get some offers for you and help understand, you know, what's available, I would try to get multiple offers on it, um, get to know the process and, you know, have somebody look into that for you. But it's it's likely not going to make sense with, uh, with what you're describing. No, well, I, it, I mean, what percentage do they pay? Like I say, I've got a hundred thousand, and it expires in uh, I think five more years. Uh, well, if they bought it, would I get the whole hundred thousand? Or no, 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 nothing. Not anywhere close to that. I mean, it's typically it's between 10 to 25%. But again, uh, just given that this is a term policy and not whole life, uh, you know, depending on your health status, I mean, if you had a, a terminal condition with, you know, a very short time to live based on what the, the doctors were suggesting, then you might be able to get, you know, more than, you know, 10 or 20%. Um, in that situation. But if you're in fairly good health and this policy is only going to last another five years and you're in your 70s, you're going to be below, you know, uh, this policy will run out before you even reach the average life expectancy. So you probably won't get very much at all. And, and the real benefit on this would come from just letting the policy lapse. Okay. I, that's kind of what I thought, uh, Rob, but I just wanted to hear your take on it because they don't really explain that advertisement. But yeah, I really appreciate the information and uh, yeah, the terms. I knew I was going to live this long. I'd have got me a better policy. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, obviously, the Lord's not done with you yet, Tony. He's still got uh, some assignments for you. So uh, we appreciate you being on the program today. Uh, let's head to Florida. Hi, Missy. Go right ahead. Hi there. Um, I wanted to know if solar, uh, solar panels were a good investment um, together with that the program that FPL offers. Hmm. So the electric yeah. company has a program where they partner with you. And I was wondering if that was a good investment. Yeah, you know, you really need to crunch the numbers uh, to determine what your final cost will be and compare that to your monthly energy savings. So, for example, let's say the panels cost you $16,000 and they save you $2,000 a year. Well, it'd take you eight years to pay off 
the panel, and by the way, the panels, and that's, you know, the average, by the way. So you'd want to do the math, and if it looks like you can break even by then, then, you know, it might be worth it if you're willing to put that initial investment into it. Ultimately, it's going to come down to the math on the payback based on the savings that's available to you on an annual basis. Would you consider age a factor, say, if we're in our 60s? Uh, no, not necessarily. I mean, the key is, are you going to stay in the house? Uh, you know, if you thought there's a chance you might sell or downsize or move, you're probably not going to get the the money out that you put into the panels. Clearly, the longer you're going to be in the home, the better. So, you know, it'd be better if you were 40 than 60, but it, it can still work as long as you crunch the numbers and there's enough savings there. Very good. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you for calling. We appreciate it. Uh, Let's head to Aurora, Illinois. Hi, Chloe. Go ahead. Hi. um, I've just recently come into an inheritance. A couple of questions. Um, I've heard two different ways, biblical tithe on an inheritance. Some people say no because you didn't earn it. Some people say yes, of course you're going to tithe. Second part is the inheritance is a two-part. One is cash. And the other one is stocks and bonds um, and mutual funds that is not liquid. And how do I tithe on, I'm tithing on the cash already, I'll just tell you that much. But uh, how do I tithe on the stocks and the bonds and all of that? Yeah. Well, first, I would say if you're applying the principle of the tithe, which in truth is an Old Testament concept, there was three tithes for the Israelites, uh, totaling 23 and a third percent. But I love the idea of giving proportionately on your increase. And I would just say, well, what is your increase? And for me, that's anything that comes into your hand. It's all a gracious gift from God, whether it's wages or an inheritance or a gift. Uh, It's an increase, in my opinion. So if you're going to apply the principle of the tithe, I would do it on the whole thing. It's easy on cash. I think if you're keeping the stocks, then I'd probably calculate your realized gains once a year and tithe on that. If you're liquidating them, then you could just go ahead and tithe out of the proceeds. Well, we're almost out of time. If you like today's program, why not share it with a friend? And while you're at it, share the FaithFi app with them as well. Help us get the word out. Thanks for listening and sharing, and I hope you'll come back and join us again next time for another edition of Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you. 